It's that time. Your fix is here. College football is a year-round discussion with these two. Here's J.C. and Morgan. Mike Morgan of ESPN and J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports have you covered. Beginning right now. Rolling along on another summer edition of J.C. and Morgan. It's not the dead days of summer. That is a uh, a misnomer. <laughs> the summer in college football, as we continue to talk about the fact it's become a, a year-round sport, and it really has just little dead time in terms of discussion points. We just had SEC Media Days. That is four days of just incredibly overflowing content. And then with recruiting, with NIL, with spring ball, with all the news and notes that continue to go on, uh, it's much like it's mirroring the NFL in so many ways and that the NFL is is a year-round sport. That's why they have their own network, and that's why we do this year-round as well. It's episode number 202, and it'll be the second one of the 202 that we are pleased to be joined by South Carolina head football coach Shane Beamer. He will join us in about 30 minutes uh, or so, Shane is always a pleasure to talk to. I think he's become kind of one of the highlights at Media Days. We talked about that last week, JC, and that from a personality and just oozing positivity standpoint, uh, he just kind of gets gets the juices flowing, and hopefully he'll do the same when we chat with him. We've got lots of other news and notes to get to. We've got the JC5. Uh, and as always, uh, the mailbag, uh, those of you who uh, checked out the website, jcandmorgan.com, you can shoot any questions or comments you have, and we'll read them on the air on the mailbag segment, and then we'll have a little fun, little movie info on the five and dime segment at the end. But with all that, uh, JC, how are you this morning? We are recording this this morning. We're going live at, uh, what, 9.45 Eastern uh, yeah, this is this is yeah. our first live uh, JC and Morgan, so it's a uh, it's a uh, pretty solid. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to getting there. Uh, I, I'm good looking forward to getting getting Shane back on. Uh, we had him on, uh, I guess, in 2021, and uh, lots has ha- lot, lots has happened since then in South Carolina. So, uh, really looking forward to that, and uh, and as always, the JC five and everything else. You know, I at, at the top, there are just certain things that we, we talk about that are kind of fresh on the, the stream of consciousness, if you will. You know, last week, it was SEC Media Days. You know, right now, you've got, you've got Big Ten Media Days that are uh, going to dominate the headlines for uh, a couple of days up there at, at Lucas Oil Stadium. It's actually a pretty cool venue. Uh, I'd, I'd never been to Indianapolis in my life, and I got a chance to call a Chiefs-Colts game uh, on radio last year, and I was really impressed by the, the downtown, the the areas surrounding it. Like I could see why Indianapolis is actually a good spot for things like a Super Bowl, Final Fours, et, et, et cetera. Um, but you know, the Big Ten conversation, we know what's going to be the dominating topic, the same that it is all the time. Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, not too far behind. Um, but the difference this year, of course, is that everybody, I say everybody, I'm pretty confident they're going to be picked number one. And that's a new that's a new setting for Jim Harbaugh's Wolverines. The the Pack Media Days or Media Day, as Rick Neuheisel uh, will tell you, it, it, that's that's indicative of where the Pack has gone. It's it's one day. The look, I don't want to I don't want to pile on Kliovkov. I don't know the man. 
I, I know probably less about him than any of the other Power Five commissioners, but goodness gracious, that was not a good look at the podium. <laughs> you're basically you're talking as if a deal is done with the media, but you're just waiting for the right time to announce it. And then a very uh, insightful reporter says, well, wait a minute now. So you're saying the deal is done, but you're just waiting for the right time to announce it. You don't you don't want to distract from the shine that is uh, the media day. Well, I wouldn't say that. In other words, there's no deal done, <laughs> clearly. Um, so we'll, <laughs> that, I, I don't know. I mean, I, honestly, JC, I don't know what you do right now. If if you're like a Pac-12, soon to be 10, soon to be however many, president, AD, like wh- what are you telling everybody? Yeah, it's tough. And, and, you know, we've talked about it several times. It's a shame going into a season where they probably have more quarterback talent than any other conference in the country and all that good stuff. Um, but when you're, when it, when the topic is existential as it is, uh, I don't know how you can concentrate on anything else. Uh, but you know what? The uh, geographic base that the Pac 12 is located in. I'm not sure that those states and and, and and the leadership out there have made the right decisions at all in a number of areas uh, for the past 20 years. So it doesn't surprise me that they're the most dysfunctional um, at all uh, at this point. And I've got some – I got an idea for them uh, coming up in the JC. Okay, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. It has mean, to do it, with my visor a little bit. There we go. Bring in the running Rebs. Uh, San Diego State – Clearly, they were on their way there. Something happened. Like, something gummed up the works. Somebody said, wait a minute, we don't want to share money with San Diego State. But there's no way they just bolted from the Mountain West and announced it, and then they didn't have a landing spot. That Something went something went awry. Oh, no, I thought you said that. No, we didn't say that. Oh, okay, never mind. Um, but, yeah, that has been... You're trying to atone for the sins of one Larry Scott, and so far there <laughs> there hasn't been a lot of that going on over there. Um, I got to thinking today because, you know, one of the big news uh, headlines today in the NFL, Saquon Barkley signed a contract. Saquon Barkley with the Giants signed a one-year deal, which means he could not get the big blockbuster deal that every player in the NFL wants, but running backs are not getting because they've clearly been devalued. Saquon Barkley's deal is in the neighborhood of $11 million a year. $11 million. Now, I know that's a lot of money, but there are second-string quarterbacks making close to that. Uh, it, it, $11 million for an elite player at your position. Think about the other positions on the field. The left tackle's making more than that. The defensive back, the safety, uh, the rush end, the wide receiver, the quarterback. You can go on and on and on. And this is Saquon Barkley. Like, there's nothing about Saquon Barkley's game that's lacking. Nothing. He's an incredible talent. But I really think this is going to trickle down to college, JC, because we all know, and you've covered it as well as anybody on a national basis recruiting, we all know that those type of recruits, their number one goal is to make the NFL, okay? They're looking for that payday, and they're looking for what they've dreamed about their whole lives, and that's to play in the National Football League. And they're watching all these players at other positions make a whole lot of bank, and here they are taking more hits than anybody. Uh, 
and and they're watching them pretty much get lowballed. And it's not a conspiracy, and it's not collusion. It's just every NFL team. I went over this on a, a radio show in Atlanta because, of course, B. John Robinson was a was a top ten pick by the Falcons, and uh, in a lot of ways, hopes to be the savior for that organization. And I don't think it's a bad pick, and I and, and I don't think it's going to be a bust. But you look at all the running backs that have been taken in the top ten in the NFL; they haven't been bust necessarily. But if if you would give those teams that drafted them a mulligan, I think they would take another position. And and many of them, once that second contract is up, they're just like, no, we're not doing we're not doing Ezekiel Elliott type of deals here anymore. That's those days are done. So if I'm a five star running back, why am I going to stay? This used to be like you put your best athlete at running back, like you put your best athlete in little league at shortstop. I don't know if that's going to be the case. I wonder if running backs are going to start looking at other positions to play because they know at the next level you can double your your money. Now, the here's the one, if I were like the running back advisory committee, what I would tell guys to do, make sure you run routes and catch passes because those are the type of guys. Why did B. John Robinson go in the top 10? Because he's running routes at Texas. He didn't catch a ton of passes, but he's running routes like a, a wide receiver would and will at the next level. And you can bet B. John Robinson is going to catch a lot of passes in that Falcons offense. Jameer Gibbs, go back and watch Jameer Gibbs. I realize when you play at Georgia Tech, you might as well be in the abyss. But watch at Alabama. And at Alabama last year, he caught 44 passes. 44 passes in, in a Nick Saban offense. Christian McCaffrey, who I voted for the Heisman, if he played on the East Coast, I'm pretty sure would have won it. Christian McCaffrey, during his time at Stanford, his last two years, 45 catches, 37 catches. That's in addition to returning kicks, of course. These are the guys that are going very high in the draft. Running backs that it's not Herschel Walker, Bo Jackson anymore. For that matter, I'm not sure if it's, you know, some of the bigger backs that we've seen come out of of Alabama that were just bruising backs and that's that's all they were they were doing so I really think you're going to see JC if I'm a five-star running back recruit and I really that's my dream to play that position I'm not going to switch I'm going to be talking to the coaches that are recruiting me and once I get past NIL and everything else okay well how involved am I going to be in the pass offense what do you think I think it's right it's 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 kind of a trend we started noticing with the NFL back right at the end of my tenure when I did rankings. Um, When you do high school to college recruiting rankings, you use the NFL a lot as a guideline in terms of projection and position value. In other words, you don't, unless the guy's just special, you'll never rank a center or a guard, uh, the best guard or center in the country over the best tackle in the country. Uh, You'll never rank uh, the best corner in the country uh, under the best safety in the country if they're close in, in, in ability. You know, quarterbacks obviously are up. Uh, you know, receivers, there's a lot of them. So you got to kind of differentiate. Uh, if you're an interior offensive lineman, you better be great. Uh, there aren't a whole lot of five-star linebackers, uh, that kind of thing. And running back, uh, after Adrian Peterson, uh, and Adrian Peterson kind of was the last of his kind. If you think about it, he played, played what, 10 years, uh, fresh, you know, came out of Oklahoma, Palestine, Texas, uh, great player. Um, there was really only one cycle where 
it just worked out to where five of the best players in the country were running backs and five-star guys. And those guys were as follows. <laughs> Leonard Fournette, Nick Chubb, Joe Mixon, Royce Freeman, who played at Oregon and was really good, and then Sony Michelle. So that where was, was Derrick Henry in that list. That was a very freaky, special kind of right. If he was in the same class, and I don't quite remember, I think I believe he was in that same class, Mike. We had him listed as an athlete and the number twelve player in the country. So there are actually oh. six running backs in the five star range. Um, and and I wasn't a big, I wasn't a Henry believer at running back because uh, he's six four two forty. You know, right. until in the Army All American Bowl, San Antonio, I'm sitting right there. Uh, and sitting next to Ryan Barto, who's now uh, the director of high school relations at Florida State. And we both looked at each other because he he cut and his shoulders, uh, you look at shoulders a lot with running back. Can you get your shoulders square to the goal line? How, how is your shoulder moving? And he cut his shoulders and made a cut, and cut it up in there and scored a touchdown. And we were like, we're probably wrong. <laughs> and we were. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, and you're right, but we noticed the position value of the NFL started to go down. And, you know, they'll take a guy in the sixth, seventh round, put him on the practice squad for a couple of years. They'll have their start and running back. He sort of wears down. And then you got another guy with sort of fresh legs that steps in. There's not a long shelf life. That's why when running backs go pro early, uh, even if they're late round picks, I, I, I tend to think they're making the right decision because, you know, yeah, the, the the money's not going to be big now, and it's but it may not be big later, even if you are drafted pretty high. And if you're, you know, a late round pick or a free agent, and you stick with it, your time will probably come just because they wear down. And, and you're absolutely right; the style of play has something to do with it too, Mike. Because, you know, what what's the big offense? The Chiefs. The Chiefs are kind of a modified pro style air raid. You know, they like to throw it; they throw it all over the place, and. Uh, and all that. So, uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a game where everybody steals from everybody else. And so everybody's moving that way. Uh, it's going to get even, even less of a, of a deal. And, and that's a shame for a guy like Saquon Barkley, who's a great player and all the, all the great running backs. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and, and it's, it's going to be an interesting dynamic. You said if you're a high school player or a college player, would you rather switch positions? Well, yeah, but what's the, what's the best feeling in football? scoring touchdowns Mm -hmm. and those guys score most of the touchdowns. So, so what, what, what are, you know, are you going to give that up to go? I, so I don't know. And then body type, there's not really another position on the field, Mike, where your average running back body type fits. Running backs are kind of condensed, smaller guy dudes that low center of gravity in a lot of, a lot of ways. 5'11", 220. Yeah. They're not all built like Derrick Henry. And and that's right. one of the things I love about football. There's a place for everybody's body type on the field, even, mm-hmm. even like kicker, you know, they're the, and, and those guys, they're, they're a little small and skinny, you know, and then the big old guys. And I mean, that's the most beautiful about football, but um, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see. I was talking about my, my sophomore, my kid, step kid here about his fantasy football team. And every time I've ever played fantasy football, Mike, Running backs usually go first. He was saying, "Now nah, with his league, they want to draw draft quarterbacks and receivers first. So maybe, maybe that's, that's my changing league. too. That's my I'm league. I'm going to be like yeah. old man yell at cloud. My running back's back, you know. Back in my but day, anyway. we take the 15th best running back over Aaron Rodgers yeah. in his prime. If you, if you remember. adjust the fantasy league scoring properly, that's not the case anymore. 
when I drafted Priest Holmes. Oh, yeah, exactly. Second. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's 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 definitely evolving. I I just it got me to thinking that the news on Barkley how that's changed because growing up as kids, I mean, it was college football was all about the running back. I mean, yeah, there were a few, and then obviously the systems changed where it's more pass happy. But even even now, the running backs that put up great numbers in college. I mean, you can't do any better than Saquon did at Penn State, or you can't do any better than what Christian McCaffrey did at Stanford, and uh, you know all these great Alabama running backs. <clears throat> I mentioned Derrick Henry. You got Mark Ingram. All these guys, but they're they're all getting. I don't want to say fleeced, but they're getting lowballed at, at the negotiating table to the point where the NFL is actually trying to like have a committee do something to change, but the free market is the free market. Like it's again, it's not a conspiracy and it's not collusion. NFL teams just know there's so many great running backs that come out of college every year that you can spend a fifth round pick on a guy and he'll get you 1200 yards very often. Uh, just a quick aside, just a quick note. Now let's get ready for the JC five. Shall we? What do we got JC? JC five. I love it. I threw this together in like 20 seconds. That's the skill that you have. You don't need you don't need eight hours of show prep for the JC five. It just it just bounces off the top of your cranium. That's how I got out of college, brother. <laughs> <laughs> That's in high school, uh, you know. So especially that. All right. So so number one, we just got out of SEC media days. I've I've spent a lot of time in thought. And by the way, go to our website jcmorgan.com every day now. You need to go every day because we have a song of the day. Today's song is Son of a Son of a Sailor by Jimmy Buffett because I'm having trouble letting go of summer sometimes. Yeah. Uh, Summer this season, by the way, Mike. Yeah. I I (laughs) married a girl named Summer, so clearly. I was like, like, you know, but I'm 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 like, I will still go to the beach and stuff, and and vacation time's over. And then number two, we have a college football factoid of the day. So once Texas and Oklahoma lead the Big 12, who is going to be the winningest program of all time in in that league? The answer is West Virginia. The Mountaineers, so country roads take me home. But we'll have that every day on our website, jcandmorgan.com. Maybe throw the so five and dime on there as well. Yeah, if I have a, yeah, we'll throw the five. We'll have all our little features and stuff, and that way you get more JC and Morgan a lot of the time. That's what um, the American public needs. That's what that's what you all crave. So yes. um, so, so I've, I spent a lot of time about Texas, Oklahoma, thinking when they leave, whatever. So the divisions are going away, and, and for about thirty years, and it's SEC West versus East. We're in the West, we're in the East. You know, and that's kind of the thing. So what happens? The West has been the stronger division. I think it's still the stronger division. I think Georgia's the strongest team. What do you see happening, Mike? Because will it be that the other East teams kind of fall into a subcategory with a sixteen-team league? Uh, or do you think your your South Carolinas, Missouris, Kentuckys of the world are, are still comparable to your Arkansas, Mississippi State, Mississippi's, Tennessee's, and Texas A and M's, uh, and it'll just go up and down uh, year to year? I, I think that's a very interesting question yeah. because I, I think that you know, for most people would think, oh, well, this is Arkansas's and this is the Western teams that finish at the bottom of that division chance to go up. But I'm not so sure because I kind of look at when those teams play cross division and it's it's pretty even. It's a great question and it's something we're going to talk to our guest Shane Beamer about because you know South Carolina coming off a, a, a really good year and and of course everybody remembers the high watermark Spurrier years, uh, but for the most part 
during its time in the SEC has been in that middle. Now, the middle in the SEC is better than a lot of places, right? But it's still, you kind of feel like, you almost get a sense like you're predestined to stay there. It's so hard to make it to that next tier, much harder than it is in other leagues. I mean, I'm sure most Big Ten programs feel this way now against trying to to surpass Michigan and, and Ohio State. Now, they both have it rolling at the same time. Well, when Alabama and LSU and Georgia, uh, maybe Texas A&M at some point, and then you add Texas, Oklahoma, like with, when if they're all go firing at the same time, how do you get into that into that class? Uh, it's really difficult. It, it's really difficult. Now, th- this to me is a ultimate litmus test year for Tennessee. Yeah, absolutely, because they have Texas A&M coming in, and, and they also play Alabama and Georgia. I think they play Texas A&M. I'm pretty sure that's one of, that's one of their non-conference games. But, uh, yeah, it, it is a litmus test, Mike. You're right. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, Mike. It. My mic cut off there for a second. Uh, okay. Live radio, live live streaming, live podcast. It's covered for you, brother. Yeah, yeah no, you're, you're always there out of the bullpen <laughs> ready to put out the fire. I just think because because so many people are ready to take Tennessee, if, if they put together another year like they did last year, and obviously uh, the loss to South Carolina derailed what could have been a really magical season for Josh Heupel and company. But if they do it two years in a row, what's the narrative going to be? Tennessee's back. Like Tennessee is now in that top class. They they are They are in the top class. Now, if they don't, if Joe Milton has the the 80-yard arm but but can't be accurate again, I think he's thrown, what, like 84 passes in his career, uh, lost a job at Michigan, got beat out by Hooker at Tennessee, and yet, you know, you've got, you've got some folks out there saying he's by far and away the most talented player in college football, and I'm just like, mm, I think Drake May might have something to say about that. I think Caleb Williams might have something to say about that. Like, I'm, like those are proven commodities. Uh, but there's no question he has a, a skill level that reminds me of Anthony Richardson of Florida last year, who was a top 10 pick, but again, was not a very good college quarterback if you take the, the sum of 13 games that he that he started in last year. But if Milton pans out, and if they're able to overcome all the losses at wide receiver and O-line and everywhere else, and they put together that kind of year, and maybe they even cap it off and don't have the, the loss at the end, then yeah, the people are gonna, they're going to put Tennessee in that spot. In that tier, I should say. Yeah, and, and they're going to be, you know, pretty tough to be right. They're recruiting really well as, as well. So that's, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think what you described is an SEC purgatory, so to speak. Yeah, in the and, middle. And that has such a negative connotation. Like, I don't want to use that word, and you and I use the word abyss a lot. It's it's definitely not the abyss. Abyss is like you're yeah. just irrelevant completely. Um Purgatory, like, is not the worst place in the world, but it's not the best. Like, I'd rather be an SEC purgatory, purgatory than the purgatory ACC. in any other league. Or, or yeah, like or even it, like, like, like yeah. NC State is in permanent ACC purgatory. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole other. Oh, yeah, not the same. Oh. Werewolf in London, man. That's going to be a song of the day one day. Um, all right, in honor of Dave Dorn, uh, Matt Campbell and PJ Flex. Speaking of coaches that are still there. Matt, I, so when we started this podcast in 2016, Mike, 
if you'd asked me if Matt Campbell and P.J. Flake would still be at Iowa State and Minnesota, I'd have said hogwash. Some yep. some place will open up. One of them will take Southern Cal. One of them will take Michigan, Ohio State, whatever you know. Yet they still remain. Your thoughts? I, I thought Fleck was going to be a prime candidate for Tennessee years ago, and for whatever reason, um, that that didn't happen. And it took them a couple of hires, and they eventually got their guy now, and, and Josh Heupel. Um, but you know, as we've talked about so many times on this show. The the guy that schools like Josh Heupel was not the number one choice. We all know that the guy that you, very often that is your number one, you swing and miss on, and then you just hope that your choice two, three, or four is going to be the guy. We all know LSU with Brian Kelly. We all know that was not the number one, but it looks pretty good right now. Sometimes the best hires are the, uh, the best hires you make are the ones where that wasn't your first choice, and in this case. I, I I thought Matt Campbell would certainly be in the NFL by now, and I'm surprised he didn't leave when his stock was scorching hot. Because I've been to Ames a number of times. There's a lot of good things about that program. Great fan base. Um, that's a tough place to win. It just is. It, it, they went through a lot of coaches that did not have success before he got that job, and now all of a sudden you're not as hot. And that's the that's the fear of every coach. Now he's getting paid. Don't don't. Don't get it twisted. He's doing just fine. Nobody's going to shed any tears if they look at the the fine print of that contract. But yeah, I thought he'd be in the NFL, and I thought I thought for sure Mister Row Your Boat would be uh, would be somewhere else by now. Um, and and I'm still not convinced that they're both going to be around much longer. But we shall see. I still think they're both outstanding coaches, and uh, I do too. Could win champ. Could win. Hey, look, he's. They've won. Cha- I mean, Iowa State's played for championships. Minnesota, the division thing's going to do them in for a little bit because it's going to be one big Big Ten, right? Uh, the West obviously is is weaker than 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 uh, watered down soy sauce. Just a little. But anyway, that's uh, that's one of those things there. Miami, Texas A and M. I think they play in Week Three again in Coral Gables. Yeehaw! The Aggies are going to Miami. They went for a bowl a few years back, but it was during COVID, so I'm sure they'll go in droves. Mike, the winner of that game is does that is that going to mean anything at all? Uh, I mean, you had the two I, most underachieving teams, which by the way spent the most nil money uh, in college football last year. I, I don't know with either one of these bunches if a win or a loss means anything. And I'm not even ready to proclaim the U is back if they happen to pull it off. No, my gosh. I mean, you and I, you and I talked. I had Miami, Virginia last year. That was one of the worst offensive uh, displays. You had like triple overtime and nobody could score a touchdown. Um, I don't know what happened with Miami last year. I mean, all the quarterback issues and everything else. Mario Cristobal seems like the ultimate home run hire for that program, but the, the U is far from back. I, I, I think the, the better way I would phrase that question, how debilitating a loss it would be for Texas A&M if they don't win that game. If you're Jimbo Fisher, I know it's not a conference game. You need to win that game. You need to win that game. You are a superior roster to Miami, and, and everybody that, that covers both those teams knows it. It, it. You have to win that game, and if you lose it, it's going to be a whole lot of – shrugging the shoulders and here we go again we're just we're not there we we a lot of five-star recruits and a highly paid coach but we are not there i i think 
I think you have to win that game if you're Texas A&M. All right, our friends out of the Pac-12, like, look, back in the day, I'm going to take you back in the day. Nobody wants nobody wants to learn history. Nobody wants to talk about history. Arizona and Arizona State, they were in the whack, okay? The Pac-12 added them. They were fine. So to, to solve your problems, you know, the emerging markets like Phoenix and Tucson, they went in and got it. Why not go add Boise State and UNLV? And or, or New Mexico or whoever, you know, schools that are like flagship universities or big schools uh, that just aren't power five, what you say power five right now, and, and grow them with you. Uh, why would that not be a uh, an option for the Pac-12 right now? Well, well, Boise's been discussed, and UNLV's been matched. I don't think New Mexico gives you anything, but but Boise and UNLV, I wouldn't rule that out. I, I mean, you still need a Southern cat like. San Diego State is clearly what you need. Um, but again, whenever you add a school, that's an extra slice of the pie to divide all that TV money. And you don't even know what the TV money is because you don't have a TV deal in place. So they are just running around in circles like a cat trying to catch its tail, um, trying to figure out what's what. And in a game of musical chairs, with with migration and realignment and everything else, you don't want when the music stops. You don't want to be left without a chair or or left without a viable conference and a viable TV deal that goes along with it. Um, but no, I don't think those would be two bad additions at all. I mean, sometimes there there can be strength in numbers. I think the pack has to look at that. Um, but again. I, I think San Diego State is a clear number one. We heard about SMU. I mean, that gives you just one thing and one thing only. It just gives you the market of Dallas. But SMU it's is not. Small, it's yeah. a small private school, beautiful campus. But they are not prepared to to be competitive in a league like that, I don't think, anytime soon. Um, I think it starts with San Diego State, and then you add one other program. I can't believe that hasn't been done yet, um, but it hasn't. Yeah, state of Idaho, by the way, uh, third or fourth largest population growth in the really? last year. So I did not Boise, know that. Yeah, Boise. Okay. Um, University of Idaho is out towards Washington State. You know, I've been actually been there before. The Vandals? It's, and they play in a, like a basketball arena. It's like arena football looking thing. It's, it's weird, but uh, okay. trust me. Yeah, and, and it's weird because it's right down the road from Washington State. You can walk, walk, drive out Washington State. Five minutes here at University of Idaho. It's really strange. I think Mark Schlereth played there. It's the only Idaho yeah. alum that I know. Paul Petrino, Bobby Petrino's brother, was the head coach at Idaho for a while. Definitely I think Dennis Erickson was the head coach at Idaho for a while, too. I did not know that either. Uh, anyway, uh, Drake May versus Spencer Rattler game day. College game day is coming to Charlotte for North mm-hmm. and South Carolina. We're talking to Shane Beamer soon. Thoughts about that matchup? You saw UNC spring game. You've watched Rattler. Uh, I think that's a pretty good uh, showcase game considering the two quarterbacks. Yeah. Um, by the way, choosing game day, choosing that one over FSU, LSU. Well, FSU game is on Sunday, though. That's it's right. You're right. It's on I Sunday. Mean, so. Could they? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Good point. They probably yeah. still could have game day in Orlando, yeah, right? You, you know, the LSU fans are going to be there on like, starting <laughs> yeah, Thursday. Exactly. They're going to be there for for days on end. There won't be any problem with you know background environment 
Uh, and for Florida State fans, it's a two-hour drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, I, I think that only adds to the game. And, yeah, we will we will talk to Shane about it. When's the last time the Gamecocks have been on game day? Was it Missouri in, like, 2013, 14? 14, yeah. It, it, was, it was weird they picked that game because that's where Carolina got – Slaughtered by A and M, and it's a heck of a ball game that night. But yeah, that's yeah. the last time game, and that was in Columbia. So right, right, yeah, and I don't think game day has now was game day at one of those Florida Carolina. I don't remember on the road. No, that was 2012. Yeah, game day. They haven't had a Carolina game since 2014. So, yeah, yeah it's been which that time. kind of snuck up on me. Um, and obviously the Tar Heels don't get many game day appearances either it's been 13 uh, years for them 13 yeah years. there you go um look i i think this is easily one of the best games on the board is it still about a pick them or are the tar heels like a one-point favorite where are we at one on the point, Vegas? yeah 1.5 okay. last time I saw and, and that's 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 purely the that that's a drake may line um you mentioned i had the tar heels spring game back in in april look they they have improved some things they they, they want to prove to the nation in that game that they're not soft. That was the line that many people used to describe North Carolina, and that was the line that from Mac Brown, everybody on, that when we met with the coaches, they were adamant, like, we're not going to be soft anymore. Uh, We're we're going to be able to run between the tackles on third and goal from the two-yard line. Uh, We're going to be able to stop people uh, in the red zone. These are things that the Tar Heels really struggled with of course, defensively, you know, it's like they've taken a sabbatical the last couple of years, but they believe that they've got the horses now to improve that. And then offensively, Drake May's the real deal. I mean, he's going to be a top five pick. I, I don't know if I'm in love with his wide receivers. Like, he, he's not working with the same deck of cards that, you know, an LSU quarterback has been almost every year or even what Caleb Williams has, certainly what any Ohio State quarterback has because they just clone first-round pick after first-round pick at that spot. Uh, but I, I think I don't think you want to get into a shootout with the Tar Heels, and, and I think the Gamecocks will be the more physical team and, and should be able to impose that a little bit. But, yeah, I think it's going to be a great game. Um, should be a lot of fun and, and a, a huge advantage for game day to be there. When you're Shane Beamer and Mac Brown, for that matter, and you're trying to put some shine on your program, like, hey, I, I, I know we don't capture the same headlines as the so-called heavyweights, to, ha- to be game day in week one where everybody's just starving for college football, that's huge. No offense to week zero. Week one is is – is where we're all just calibrated to like dig in and get ready. That's your primer. And, and they're going to be talking about those teams quite a bit. It's going to be exposure that you can't put a price tag on. So I think it's a huge opportunity. Should be a great environment uh, for the Tar Heels. Look out for Trez Walker, the transfer from Kent state at receiver. Yeah. He's good. Uh, and th- they also have two good young running backs too. Uh, that uh, they're not necessarily – I think Elijah Turner's listed as their starter, but they're, they're two young horses. Amari and Hampton is one. Uh, is Hopper the, the other guy's name? Anyway, it's uh, those are two big-time recruits they got. 
uh, look out for those. I, th- I think their O line is a question mark, and as well as their entire defense, and like you said, their toughness. So we'll see. But we've, you know, I guess we got to get to a break now, Mark, yeah. because we got Shane Beamer coming up. Sure. Um, shoot, if we don't get to five and dimer, we'll definitely have it next week, and also your mailbag questions. So yep. uh, we just kind of time flies on this podcast more so than anything I do. It's just a look up, and it's like a uh, thing. But we're on live today, so we got to kind of. Be a little yeah, more just, disciplined. We got yeah, we got to get go, back to fundamentals, yeah. brother. We got to block and tackle. You know, I, I got to shut my trapper. You know, I got to just be quiet. So <laughs> anyway, uh, all right, Phil, get us out. We'll uh, come back and uh, quick timeout. Yeah, Shane Beamer on the uh, other side. Hopefully, have Shane Beamer, Mike here for Elite Roofing and Restoration. Chances are, you're a homeowner. You're going to have to have that roof replaced at some point. Could be because of wind or hail damage. Could be because it's just that time the roof is old and you don't want to take any more chances. Go ahead and call Elite Roofing and Restoration. They will take terrific care of you as they have for me over the years. They provide exceptional roofing services. They offer a highly knowledgeable staff on insurance claims for roof repairs and replacements as well as an extensive catalog of materials and colors to ensure your roof looks as good as it performs. So how do you do it? Well, you just start off. You can go to the website, EliteRoofingGA.com. That's EliteRoofingGA.com. Go ahead and fill out the form. Get connected with the fine folks at Elite Roofing and Restoration, and they will take care of the rest for you. Elite Roofing and Restoration. Don't settle for second best. Hey, this is Mike Morgan, and like many of you, I love staying active. It makes me feel better. It helps me enjoy a better life. But whether you're a world-class athlete or someone just keeping the dream alive like me, you'll want to make sure you have someone who can handle the injuries that are going to arise. That's where the world-renowned Dr. Michael Hatrack of Synergy Sports Wellness and Synergy Release Sports come into play. He's been my guy for nearly a decade, and he has served thousands of people, including over 400 NFL players, over a career that spans 47 years. Yeah, he's that good. And his staff's personalized biomechanical treatments and therapies can handle it all. Back pain, knee pain, shoulder pain. We all know the injuries, but few know the solutions the way Dr. Hatrack and his terrifically trained staff do. I've seen others. No one delivers the results the way they do. That's why people from all over the country come to Synergy's two Georgia locations, Buckhead and Alpharetta. Dr. Hatrack has trained a team of chiropractors in his proprietary technique that has been proven to yield life-changing outcomes from professional athletes to the Joe Schmoes of the world like, well, me. Check out the website to set up an appointment today, SynergyReleaseSports.com. That's Synergy with an S, ReleaseSports.com. You can also find a link for them on our website, JCAndMorgan.com. Let the incredible staff at Synergy take care of you so you can reach your wellness goals. And like that, we are back. And we are efforting Shane Beamer as we speak. Yep, just got a text. uh, Technical difficulties on that end. Technical difficulties? Well, sometimes, you know, it it may be internet. They are in South Carolina. Okay. (laughs) Well, we'll get to it. I've had, well, trust me, I've lived there. It's, uh, it's, It's almost like a squirrel gets in the internet sometimes down there and, Hey man, she's got a squirrel on the internet. Got to hold on. But uh, anyway, Mike. But yeah, that's uh, that's uh, that's uh, we'll have Shane here pretty soon. Don't worry, those of you that are waiting around. Yeah, we we look forward to that. Um, There there are a couple other things that are going on news wise. 
uh, around the sport. I mean, we're still got some really good quarterback battles going on at a number of programs, including in the SEC. I think people are still waiting to see what Ole Miss is going to do. You got three guys there. That's weird. Which is like, which is like this incredible um, glut in this day and age where everybody bolts when they're not starting to have three. Now, someone's going to bolt when they don't get the job. I don't have any doubt about that. But for right now, that continues to be uh, a storyline. I think most of the programs pretty much know who they're going to put under center. And as we've talked about before, this league this year, it doesn't have the same proven commodities. Like, again, Spencer Rattler is one of those guys. And, you know, LSU has got a proven guy back who I think can be it's probably sure. going to be the, the the number one candidate for me to put together the top season of any SEC quarterback. But, you know, Joel Milton, and again, I mentioned he's thrown fewer than 100 passes. Alabama's still got to figure out who they're going to start, whoever it is. It's, uh, it's probably not going to be the most experienced guy unless you go with a guy that did play a lot at, at Notre Dame before the injury. Um, you know, Florida's got a new quarterback, and <clears throat> Georgia's got a new quarterback. Uh you know, when you're surrounding that new quarterback with a bunch of elite weapons and five-star guys, it takes a whole lot of pressure off you. I mean, it really does. Yeah. No that, doubt. That, I think we got Shane, by the way. I think we got Shane, so it's ready to go. Uh, fantastic. Shane, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? We're doing great. We're doing, we are doing. We can't see you, but we can hear you. That's the most important All thing. All right. I'm That's on a different most... computer. Uh, a different... Well, you That's sound okay. good. We were talking about this earlier before you you jumped on. First off, congratulations! You're fresh off the news of game day. That ought to, ought to put you in a good mood. That's a great opportunity. That combined with that matchup, yeah, uh, going to be an amazing environment up in Charlotte that night, and, and uh, uh, certainly will be electric up there. Looking forward to it. Got a lot of work to do before uh, before then, but um, certainly to have college game day there in the eyes of college football. On us will be uh, will be really awesome. We uh, we had you on two years ago. It's right around the two year anniversary when we first had you on the show. And I I think about the uncertainness then, right? I mean, the, the job was open for a reason. The program was not exactly in in great shape. You take the job, uh, as you know. There are some people that that took some shots um, about lack of experience, what have you, and you think about what you've accomplished since then. How, how do you think this program is now looked upon? Because what I've noticed, a lot of the people that were your biggest critics over the hire, they are now pretty complimentary of the job you're doing, and all of a sudden they're a Shane Beamer fan. So how is the perception, do you believe, of everything that you've got going on in Columbia now versus two years ago? There we go. There sorry. you are. Oh, you look fantastic. Yeah. Sorry, right. I had the technical difficulties on one computer. I had to find another computer here in our <laughs> building that works. Um, I think perceptions changed. Obviously, uh, when you've had some success, uh, it changes. But I also realize you're only as good as your most recent game, only as good as your most recent season. So that's part of it. Um, but uh, I get it. You know, I wasn't the quote-unquote hot name when I got hired. I wasn't. Uh, some hot shot coordinator on the offensive side of the ball or defensive side of the ball, but we've been able to come in and, and have, you know, some success and accomplish a lot of firsts in our first two seasons. Um, and, and certainly that changes a lot of things as well, but you know, all we're worried about is the, uh, what's next and, 
and know that we've made some strides, but we've got a lot of work to do and uh, continuing to just try and move this program forward and get a little better each day. I, I think of you, one thing I've noticed uh, about you as the head coach and, you know, you and I go back a ways when you were an assistant at South Carolina and everybody knows you as a, a, a great, nice guy, charming, fun to be around, but uh, there's a little bit of a chip. And I, and I think quite frankly, that job requires that um, you're there. There's been a, a history of South Carolina, as we've talked about, that's always been kind of in the middle. And if you want to get to that next level, you kind of need to change the perception a little bit. And you've, you've gotten a, a little bit, uh, spicy with some uh, opponents and, and media members or whatnot. Uh, is that something you feel like you kind of have to have in that job? Uh, good question. I don't know have to have. I think a lot of it's probably just, you know, my uh, my personality. I'm always going to tell our players and coaches and staff, I'm always going to do what's best for the South Carolina football program. And that entails uh, defending uh, this program when, when needed. And, uh, you know, I get it. Criticism is a part of the job. I'm not sitting here saying that I'm sensitive to things being said and stuff like that when it's fair or when it's uh, 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 truthful, you know, but anytime that there's a perceived uh, or a, sh- a shot or a criticism that I think is unwarranted or something that I feel like I need to defend our program, I will. And certainly, you know, I'm not going to lie. We've, we've played the disrespect card some in my last mm-hmm. in, in our two seasons here. Uh, going into certain games and and things like that as well. So I think each team is different. I think each week is different, kind of what your team needs to hear uh, and whatnot. But certainly uh, everything's out there from a media standpoint. So I know that our players are hearing and seeing everything. And and I also realize that I'm, you know, the the voice of the program in so many ways as well. So just, uh, um, you know, it's my personality. I've got a chip on my shoulder as an assistant coach coming up through the ranks and even now as a head coach because of my last name in a lot of ways and um, you know just try and you know whatever it takes to fuel your team I try and find those ways and, and be creative with it you realize yeah, people forget you were a long snapper I mean <laughs> long snappers I've seen my share of long snappers man they got it they have to play with an edge man so yeah. uh, I just wanted to add that in so. appreciate that well, what, what yeah. did you weigh as a long snapper Oh man, one hundred and uh, about what I am right now. About a hundred and I think the highest I ever got at Virginia Tech was like one one ninety five. Okay. Um, I came in fresh out of high school. I was one hundred and sixty eight pounds when I got to when I got to college, and then my thirty about thirty pounds later uh, is when I finished up. But you know, it was uh, I was athletic enough, Mike and JC, where I could snap and and not get hit, you know, if people try to. And then I wouldn't say that I was a, a burner, but I was faster than your typical 270-pound long snapper, so I could get downfield and may not make the tackle, but I could at least get downfield and get in the punt, punt returner's way until everybody else got there to make the tackle. There we go. It's that scrappiness that you still bring to the table uh, to this yeah. day. You, you mentioned the disrespect card. You realize when you when you beat up on a – top 10 Tennessee team it's a little harder to play that card now right because I mean that that game and a lot of people watched that game that had no you know they're not fans of either team but because of the time it was on because of the uh other games on at that time which from what I remember there weren't a whole lot of other marquee games that got a lot of eyeballs on it you guys got a lot of attention 
and and clearly that was a you know a landmark win for you and the program. I'm curious, was there anything in, in the coaches' meetings and the practices that week leading up to that game where you said, "Yeah, I, I really like our chances to put on just a hell of a performance." Uh, yeah, I really would say I don't know if there was one moment. I really I mean, it sounds crazy saying this. Um, really felt good about it all week. Um, you go back to the season before in Knoxville, and we got off to a horrendous start up there in Knoxville my first season here at Carolina. So after that game, being able to go back and and talk as a staff about how we would you know handle their tempo and, and things better to start the game the following season. And we weren't great, don't get me wrong. We still gave up whatever it was, 38 points to them that night. But – you know, felt good about what we were doing for just from a schematic standpoint. Um, I sit, I've said it before, but, you know, we practiced on Sunday evenings after games. And, and after that performance against Florida on that Saturday night, we came back and had an unbelievable practice 24 hours later back here in Columbia. And, and I walked off the field that night saying, okay, you know, not necessarily that we're going to win like this, but felt good about just the mindset of our players going into that week. Um, and then really for us, Mike, it was just understanding the way that Tennessee plays defense, the way that we play defense. There's just going to be a lot of just one-on-ones all across the field versus our receivers and tight ends and running backs versus theirs and vice versa. And uh, we just challenged our guys all week. We got to, we got to win them and just turned it into a competition. It's a core value of this program. So we just kind of turned it into a 60-minute competitive one-on-one plays. And, and certainly when you've got uh, national television, uh, sold-out stadium, last game of the year, senior night, I mean, we didn't have to worry about getting our players up. And that goes back to the you know type of people we have in our program. And then also I'll say this too. I mean, we were terrible against Florida, don't get me wrong, but I knew – that was a game that just kind of got away from us in a lot of ways. And I knew we weren't that bad, if you will, uh, from what we played. There were some other circumstances in that game, just some things that happened throughout the week and, and during the game. It just kind of got out of whack and uh, felt good about the opportunity, what a great team Tennessee was last season. So I knew it would be a huge challenge for us. But I felt good all week that our guys would go out there and, and compete and, and perform really well. What did that game mean? not only for the rest of that season, but turning it forward to this year for the confidence of one Spencer Rattler? Uh, I think a lot. You know, it was and – I've, and I've said this, you know, to you guys in the media before. I mean, Spencer will be the first to tell you statistically and all that wasn't what he may, maybe wanted going into that Tennessee game. But let's not act like he had just had a horrendous season up to that point. He had done a lot of good things and led us to some great wins. But when you go out and just, you know, turn it loose and play free, which he did that night, and allow his weapons to go make plays and, and for him to perform, it was great confidence. And then to go on the road the next week in front of a hostile crowd up at Clemson and go down 14 nothing, and then for us to come back and win that game – I think it did, you know, it was great for one, his confidence, but two, just the whole team's confidence that we can, we can win these games against great teams at home. We can go on the road in hostile environments and, and win those games as well. So it's a lot to build up on. And every year is different, but we got a lot of key guys back, Spencer being one of them that uh, had some great moments down the stretch last year, confident they'll build on those. Speaking of that Clemson game, so you look at your tenure at South Carolina, with the exception of the game at East Carolina in game two. 
where you guys got behind and came back. Games kind of tended to turn out sort of the way they started uh, for the most part. If I'm missing one, forgive me. Uh, uh, Auburn. We were down 14 nothing uh, to Auburn. Uh, okay. That's my bad on that one. But, uh, That's all right. But that Clemson game, everything – it was one of those games – I've seen a lot of Carolina-Clemson games through the years where everything that could go wrong did go wrong early, and, and that crowd starts getting into it, and it's just like it's a team that had won 10 straight. How important was that for everybody on the team, in the organization, just confidence-wise, uh, to kind of reinforce the resilience that you yeah, guys no, that had? Was that was awesome, just, so resilient. Really yeah. Um, awesome. And I don't, you know, I don't think, uh, people maybe realize what a big deal it was to, you know, be, be on the road in a hostile environment. You throw a pick six, we're down 14, nothing. I mentioned it in Nashville last week at media day. Like it would be, it's human nature and it would have been very easy for our players to say, well, we had a, we had that great night last week against Tennessee and Columbia uh, we'll always have that game. Today's just not our day. But that's what I was so proud of as a head coach is our guys didn't flinch up at up at Clemson. Go down 14 nothing, crowd's going crazy, doesn't look good, but nobody panicked and just kind of just kept playing and kept uh kept battling back. So for that, from that standpoint, the mental toughness that you gotta have, the physical toughness you gotta have, uh to win on the road uh against a team that you know won their conference championship the next week. That was a you know really big really big step for our guys. As was you know my second game ever as the head coach here, going on the road in Greenville and being down fourteen nothing early in my tenure. I mean that's one that we won six games that season and in the regular season. And and, uh, you know if we don't win that one, who knows what happens after that? So that was a great win too up in Greenville two years ago uh, when our guys showed kind of the same resolve. What's the text count on your phone after the Clemson game? Is that a new, (laughs) new new high? Yeah, well, not new high because the, the the new high was tw- was seven days earlier, Mike. Right um, after the Tennessee game, because you're right. There's a lot of people that that watched uh, the Tennessee game because of when it was, and then obviously a ton. But I think uh, both those games, it was somewhere you know when you count from Saturday when you walk off the field and you look at your phone in the locker room and everything's done. From that point all the way until probably the next morning when I woke up, both those weeks was anywhere from about 250 to about 350, somewhere in there, all total. Those are people you know. Now, if Game Cognition had your cell number, and we're going to give it out at the end of this interview. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, if they had it, I think that'd be the new high by far because yeah, there's a, no, there's no question that's one of those games you don't mind looking like looking at the uh the mentions and the comments on twitter and things yeah. like that after a game like that uh, yeah. that, that yeah. one's okay but yeah certainly the cell phone it was people i know and it's and it's pretty cool too you just realize the magnitude of of what that game went because hearing from so many people that maybe you hadn't heard from and in, in uh in 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 a few years and things like that to watch the game and just wanted to say, reach out, whether it be other colleagues or other places that I've coached, things like that. So that was, that was pretty cool. And, and, uh, was definitely, you know, made, made those weekends even more enjoyable. Yeah. So this year's team, you, you got a lot of guys coming back, but you got a lot of young talent, talented guys uh, that are going to provide the depth special teams play on this football team. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? And, and you know, uh, it's, 
you know, sometimes people, you know, they'll say, well, we're young or whatever, but then there's also been, I think Clemson a few years ago was the youngest team in the country and won the national championship when you did all the stats and stuff. Uh, what can you say about being young but being talented this year with your roster? Yeah, no, that's exactly what it is. We've, um, you know, we got a core group of guys that are veteran players returning, which we're excited about, but, you know, Depth-wise, we're just not where we need to be quite yet. So because of that, we're going to have to rely on on true freshmen. And and I mean, legitimately, you look at every single position. We're uh, you know we're probably going to have a true freshman in the two deep that's going to play in game one against North Carolina. Um, uh, and and that's exciting. You know, certainly uh, uh, the youth. When you're playing that guys who their last game was in high school, and then their very first, their very next game is going to be on national television against against a ranked North Carolina team. Certainly, uh, there's you know, you, it's not probably not the ideal scenario, maybe, but uh, these guys are talented guys, and it really you know excites me for the future. The way that we've recruited already and brought these players into the program, and then the way that you know players are uh, the, the way that recruiting is going, and the guys that we're going to continue to bring into the program, you know you. Nobody wants to sit around and wait a year or two to play. If you're bringing in the right guys, uh, you don't, you know, you want to play them and get them out there as quick as possible as well. So that's what we're going to do. And and you know this, JC, so many of those guys, they graduate high school early now. So it's not like the old days where they just, they show up on campus in July and then three weeks later they start practice. You know, a lot of the, all of them have been here all summer since Memorial Day, really, back in May. And then the majority of them, we're here in January and went through spring practice. So that's good. They got that experience and it's not like totally new. And then the ones that did get here uh, Memorial Day weekend, the NCAA allows us to do more with our players in the summertime. So we're able to meet with them and get out on the field with them for a little bit. And and uh, it's not like they're just completely thrown to the wolves when we start practice in August next week. You know, one of those guys, actually, I, I, I kind of thought, I told somebody the other day, what, like I said, he did this last year, and then I remembered he's a freshman. Pup Howard, the linebacker, yeah. was with you guys at bowl practice. Uh, talk about him a little bit because he's a very interesting guy to me because he's a 250-pound freshman linebacker that seems like a veteran and hadn't played a snap. So Yeah, no, you're uh, exactly you right. I, I, make, I make the same mistake some too, J.C., like I'll see him, and it's like he's been here for a year or two, and – it feels like it because he was here so much during recruiting and then he went to bowl the bowl game with us and bowl practices and was here for spring practice. Mm-hmm. Now, first of all, what a great young man. I mean, he's uh, got an unbelievable personality and hard worker. Football is very, very important to him. And he's done an amazing job since he got here of, you know, changing his body and, and getting bigger and stronger. He, he looks different. He already looked great when we signed him. He looks different already. And uh, football is very important to him. So we're excited. You know, he's certainly going to be in the mix at the linebacker position. Uh, we're excited about that room. And he's a guy that we're certainly really excited about at that position um, as well. And, you know, he's uh, he's he's just – he loves football. Every, every time you see him, he's running around with, you know, one of our other freshmen that, you know, are passionate about football also and excited that he's, he's uh, here with us. Where does the offensive line stand right now? <laughs> Um, work in progress, really trying to do a great job of, of, uh, you know, we've done this all along, Mike, just cross training guys and trying to have different guys that can play different positions where you don't just say this guy's a tackle, this guy's a guard and this guy's a center. We've, we've got, 
uh, flexibility. And I was literally just meeting with uh, Lonnie Teasley and Greg Atkins about that this morning uh, in Lonnie's office, just talking about, you know, the offensive line, like where it is right now, where we think it'll be in four weeks as we get ready for North Carolina, um, where we think it'll look, go as young guys develop and we go throughout the season, you know, kind of contingency things. If something were to happen to this guy, what would we do? All those different scenarios. So we've got a good group. Uh, when I talk about those young players, we've got some really good young freshmen on that offensive line that we're excited about, that we're going to do everything that we can to get ready to play uh, as soon as possible. Got some great returners uh, that have played a lot of football here for us that are returning. And then, you know, we brought in some transfers that we think will help us this year as well. You know, so it's a lot of it's uh, it's a lot of unknowns just because there's a lot of guys that haven't played a football game here at South Carolina that we're counting on this season. But it is a talented group that that, uh, you know, has some good veteran leadership, even though we lost three senior starters. It's got some good veteran leadership returning and then a lot of guys that, you know, can do different things. I mean, if you watch the spring game, you saw Rashawn Lee play center. And at the end of the game, he was out there playing offensive tackle. And uh, we got a lot of guys like that that can do different things and we'll have to continue to. You mentioned transfers, Nene Menzel, uh, an in-state kid that came in from Mercer and Jackson Hughes from Charlotte, technically walk on guys. I've heard a lot of good things just kind of through the grapevine about those guys. Do you, do you think those guys will, will kind of contribute and get in the mix? Yeah, I do. Uh, those are two guys when I met with Lonnie and Greg this morning, whose names certainly came up as, as guys that have been uh, uh, really impactful guys to our program already. You know, they're both smart. They're both tough. They're athletic. Um, got some position flexibility. So certainly when we brought those guys in, in our minds, we weren't getting just some guy transferring from another school and walking on. I mean, we felt like we got scholarship caliber players uh, to excuse me to come in here and help on the offensive line. And, and they've been awesome and really uh, have been impressed with their maturity. And that's what you would expect coming from a, you know, coming from a program where they've already played some college football and they've been out of high school for a couple of years and really good guys. And, and, you know, they've made, made that offensive line room better already. Shane, one of the things I think we all, take for granted is that regardless of who the names are going to be out there on special teams that it's going to be really good uh under your leadership this this went on for years with your dad's teams and I've always wanted to ask you is this simply a matter because you only have so many hours during the week to, to dedicate to things in practice is it a matter of you dedicate more practice time to it than your average football program your average football coaching staff is it something that you see in film the the week leading up to the game i mean the easy answer is it's a combination of both but but what what is it that truly puts it over the top for you and your teams just like it did for for your dad's teams at virginia tech yeah great question i don't want to give you the easy answer but it's a combination <laughs> of both yeah <laughs> like you said no it really is i think um we do put more time into it than, than other places I've been. I mean, my dad was a special teams guy, and we spend more time on special teams here than we did at Virginia Tech and and uh, more than what we did when I was at Oklahoma. And we spent a lot of time on it at those programs, don't get me wrong. So we do invest a lot of time uh, in it. I think that's one thing. Um, number two, when the head coach is heavily involved, which I am, it makes a difference. Uh, there's a lot of people that invest time on special teams 
they give they, they give time to it in practice and meetings but you can devote a whole much, a whole lot of time to it but if the head coach is not in the meetings and when special teams is taking place during practice the head coach is over there working with the defensive backs or throwing routes with the quarterbacks and receivers it's going to lose a little bit of uh, importance within the team i'm in every single meeting I'm heavily involved with it. I'm heavily involved with everything that we're doing on the field. So I do think that makes a difference. I saw that firsthand with my dad. I mean, my dad literally ran every special teams meeting at Virginia Tech, except for, you know, the kickoff return unit uh, for his entire career. Um, and then I do believe the fact that we have a special teams coordinator in Pete Limbo that doesn't coach another position. He's able to devote all of his time to special teams during the week when you're game planning, but then also on the practice field because it's tough when you're doing both. When I was at Georgia, you're coaching tight ends, so you're involved in the offensive meetings. You're involved, you know, uh, with getting your own players ready to play, but then you're also responsible for coming up with a game plan and practice organization for an entire special teams unit, and it's tough to do both. So Pete's able to devote all of his time to special teams and, and also – you know, coach the coaches, if you will, as well, you know, organizational meetings, because all of our coaches are involved in special teams and Pete's able to run those meetings and get those guys up to speed on, on what we're doing as well. So it's a combination of everything and, and it helps to have good players as well. And we've had some really good, you know, special teams players and core guys and kicker specialists, all that. No doubt about it. Helps, helps win you some games. Um, North Carolina week one, uh, had a chance to see them and, and call their spring game. There's no question Drake May can make some throws that 90-something percent of college quarterbacks can't make. He's special. What about the matchup do you like in terms of, look, there's a lot of teams that, quite frankly, are going to start off with a cupcake in week one. And I imagine you've got the guy's attention a little extra when you know you've got a challenging game in week one. Is, is, that, is that part of the appeal of scheduling something like this? Yeah, no question. You know, I saw it. Um, you know, my dad, when he was at Virginia Tech, he had a lot of high-profile openers. One year they opened up with, you know, Reggie Bush and Southern Cal uh, up in Washington, D.C. One year they opened up with Boise State up in Washington, D.C. Uh, opened up one year with Georgia Tech, a, a key ACC Coastal Division matchup on Labor Day night, you know, or Sunday night, whatever it was. So I think anytime you open up with a team like that, it certainly increases the uh, excitement and urgency uh, throughout the summer, but then preseason camp especially. You know, you're always excited about game ones, don't get me wrong, but when, you, when you're already excited about game one, but then you add the fact that you're playing a really, really talented, nationally ranked opponent on national television, college game day, all that, it's uh, it, it couldn't be better. You can certainly um, – it's easy to remind the guys during like the dog days of preseason camp of, hey, don't forget what's coming here in two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, whatever it might be. So I like that part of it. It's certainly, um, certainly uh, you're always excited to start the season, but certainly it, it, it ramps up the excitement level when you're opening up with a team like that. I know everybody is pumped about it. Before we uh, let you go, I'm going to have a little fun with you, okay? Little, right. little rapid fire with you. We, we've talked a whole lot of ball here. We've, we've gotten very serious. Uh, there's still a, a very big fun side to Shane Beamer. I mean, you have a almost like a kid-like enthusiasm about about you on the 
uh, on the sideline, which I think is obviously very appealing to, to, to young men in recruiting, uh, I would think. And that, that kind of was on full display at the, uh, the press conferences. You're, you're, you're very rapidly moving first team all SEC media days press conference because uh, you've, you've just, you've got the juice, man. I mean, uh, a lot of coaches, quite frankly, just, they don't look like they want to be there. Uh, I think you use it as an opportunity. So, so let's put some of that to work here. Hard hitting questions. Favorite show as a kid growing up. Mm. What's, what's Shane Wonder, Beamer? Uh, Wonder Years. Oh, classic. When he yeah, could. Probably Wonder Years. Uh, like little, little. It was, I was a big like Fraggle Rock, He-Man guy. <laughs> little, little, little. And then as I got a little bit older, I'd say probably uh, Wonder Years. Wonder Years, yeah. Uh, Paul Pfeiffer, very underrated actor. Uh, favorite show as an adult? What's what's uh, you know when you're not breaking down film all the time, you had to binge on something. Maybe you've got a little Sopranos, a little Breaking Bad. What's what's Shane watching? You know, it's it's terrible to say. I really don't watch a ton of it. Um, but like when I'm at home. Um, you know, texting recruits, talking to recruits, hanging out with my family, watching a sporting event. Mm-hmm. Uh, show wise, though, like some really the only time I'll sit down and watch a show is when I'm uh, traveling. I know I'm going to be mm-hmm. on airplanes and I got some time to myself and things like that or in hotel rooms. I'll watch stuff um, really. Um, probably the last like show show. My wife and I used to always watch it together was uh, uh, wait however many years it was on TV. So I was probably at Carolina before, but Desperate Housewives, my wife and I used to watch that wow. together. Yeah. C- CSI, <laughs> that CSI Miami. I love that one. Big Horatio Kane guy. Yeah, there you uh, go. And then now, you know, I've gotten into some shows on like Apple TV, Netflix. Uh, mm-hmm. What did I watch? Ozark was one that I probably awesome. watched most recently. Stranger yeah. Things. Okay. Outer Banks. Finishing up Ted Lasso right now. There you go. Uh, but that's ah. usually just just in the summertime. And, but the, my right. problem, though, Mike, is like all these people are like sending me all these different things on, um, like Netflix and stuff like that that I need to right. watch. So somebody's telling me I need to watch this Steph Steph Curry documentary. Uh, I know the quarterback thing is a yeah. big deal right now. Mm-hmm. I've got to watch that. So there's a bunch. Uh, I know Tom Brady, Derek Jeter. I love that kind of kind of stuff. So I've literally got a list on my desk uh, sure. in the office of like all the different shows that I need to get into. So that's yeah. kind of where I am right now. And Yellowstone. I've never watched Yellowstone. I you haven't. Uh, I have a feeling you'll be a fan of that one. I yeah, yeah I got to pick that one up myself. Yeah. Nobody's uh, watching DVDs anymore. But if you had a DVD player. What would be in there? What's, what's like your most rewatchable movies? Because we talk a lot of rewatchable movies on this show. Ooh, good one. It's funny. I was in my uh, – it's funny you said that. I was literally in my house last night, and I was going through some old drawers just trying to clean some stuff out and found some old DVDs of, like, my high school playing days uh, <laughs> as well. So I need to pop that one in and show my, show my son. There you go. My football and baseball prowess back in the early 90s. Nice. Um, most rewatchable, uh, Goonies. Uh, okay. I love Goonies would be on DVD. Would always be watching that Strong. one. Love it. Yep. Um, Stand by Me. Uh, that's Classic. one. That love and yep. uh, I love Goodwill Hunting when that movie came out as well. Those so those are three that would be on DVDs that I would yeah. certainly could pop in and watch. And you know, those are just those shows that they're ever on television. I'm going to stop and stop and watch. It's a remote dropper, remote dropper. You might've given this away, but we'll let you out on this. Uh, you, I didn't know you played baseball. What's your number two sport to watch. It's the off season. There's a game on 
You lean in basketball, baseball, golf. What, what's what's Shane Beamer leaning towards? Are we saying football's number one to watch? Well, yeah, that would be a given. Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, your, what's your number two? Golf. Yeah. Okay. I just you know it's kind of there's not a lot of things that can you know uh, get you away from the office. If I'm on the golf course, I'm still you know texting and things like that to a certain degree with recruit, recruits and things like that. But mm-hmm. Just love the uh, – I love playing it for one, but I do enjoy watching it because I get to watch more than I actually get to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do enjoy watching that if that's on television. And and, uh, and I'd say baseball. I always loved baseball growing up, so I will certainly uh, watch, you know, a little bit of baseball in the summertime and kind of keep up with, with what's going on for sure. Braves guy? You a Braves guy? Yes, I got to be, you know, living here in the Carolinas as well. You know, growing up when my dad was the head coach at Murray State back in Kentucky, that was right down the road from St. Louis, Missouri. So love the Cardinals growing up. That was like the John Tudor, Ozzie Smith, Willie McGee McGee, days. Then we moved to Virginia and uh, got to be a big Orioles guy because the Orioles manager at the time was a guy by the name of Johnny Oates in the early Mm -hmm. 90s. He was a classmate of my dad's at Virginia Tech, so we used to go up to Baltimore, Old Memorial Stadium, Camden Yards when it opened. Love the Orioles, Brady Anderson, Mike Devereaux, Randy Milligan, Cal Ripken Jr., Mickey Tettleton, Greg Olson, all these guys um, as well. And then uh, at that point kind of got into living in the South and down here it's obviously Braves country, so – I uh, went to a Phillies game back in May, but before that, the most recent baseball games I've been to was um, was Braves games. So Very certainly nice. they're hot and having a great year and enjoy following them. And most it, Orioles people didn't like it when the Nationals came. Did they? They, they call them the Expos still. Yeah. Like, how about <laughs> Orioles fans still call them the Expos? It, yeah, exactly, because that's all you heard about up in Virginia when I was growing up. I mean, that was Orioles country because there was oh, yeah. no – weren't the, you know, you didn't have the Nationals and – and the Braves, this would have been like early 90s. So this was right before the Braves won, was it 92 World Series, I believe. So mm-hmm. right before all that. So it was really, you know, grew up watching the Braves on TBS. And, and uh, uh, but certainly you had Orioles baseball that we followed back on the old, you guys will remember this old home team sports is what it was yes. like back, uh, back growing up in high school and middle school, Very and nice. school with, the, with the Orioles. Bringing me back. I, I did want to ask you one last thing, I promise, and that is, would it be safe to say there's a friendship with you and Steve Spurrier? It's, I mean, I always see uh, communication whenever you guys have it. It kind of makes a, a headline, and I know he was a supporter of yours when you got the job a few years ago. What is that relationship like today? Yeah, no, it's great. He's been very supportive um, since I got the job. Obviously, it's a little bit unique because he's working in Gainesville and working directly with you know, with the Gators down there, but he's been very supportive of me. Uh, he and Jerry, his wife, are, are fantastic and, you know, heard from him when I got the job. And, and certainly I realized that this opportunity that I have here at South Carolina would not have been possible if he hadn't offered me a job back in February of 2007. So I'm, you know, forever grateful for that. Learned so much from him during my time here at Carolina, watching him as a head, as a head coach and just trying to pick his brain, a guy that had won – multiple conference championships at different schools before he got here. Um, so, yeah, there's there's great respect and, and thank the world of him. And he's been nothing but um, nothing but complimentary and supportive of uh, me and, and our program since uh, since I got the job here. That's awesome. Well, from a, from a couple of guys who were very supportive when your name was mentioned 
as the head coach of South Carolina. You're making us look pretty smart right now. Uh, but moreover, on a personal note, I, I, I'm a Shane Beamer fan, as you know, and I'm, I'm so happy for your success and uh, wish you the best of luck, not only this year, but for years to come. And, and really appreciate you carving out some time. No, you guys are awesome. I'm a big Mike and JC fan. So thanks to, to you guys for your support when I was an assistant coach here and throughout the years and, and now as well. So I apologize for the technical difficulties. I'm not smart enough to set everything up. Had a computer glitch in my office. So had to come out here in the hallway and just <laughs> load it up on this computer. So hey, apologize you know for the background or anything, but you guys are awesome. And thanks. No, for you were, you yeah. were great. There was no great. panic. It's like you were down 14, nothing. <laughs> On the road, and yeah. you just still you 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 rallied. You came from behind. You still came out a winner in this interview. I guess so. It was like that fourteen nothing deficit. Certainly, I was panicking. I kept looking at the clock. I knew it was ten thirty, and, and it was getting to be uh, crunch time, and I wasn't on yet. So, uh, you long, guys long are snappers. Thanks are for uh, thanks for coaching me through it. Yeah, God, no, yeah. Thanks, like man. he said, long snappers are resourceful. That's right. Uh, awesome, Shane. Thank you so much, and uh, look forward to chatting with you during the season. Take take care of yourself, and best thanks, of luck. Coach. Can't wait. You guys are awesome. Keep up the great work. Thank thanks, you. Man. Be great. Thanks. Thank you. All right, Shane Beamer. Uh, we'll take a quick timeout. We'll wrap things up. Shane, outstanding as always. More JC and Morgan coming up after the break. Hey, folks, want to tell you about our friends at Titan Construction Group really quick. They're a mid-Atlantic-based general contractor, specializes in retail, restaurant, and office construction. TCG strives to separate itself from other general contractors by adding value every step of the process. From project budgeting to estimation, value engineering to construction, they focus on those relationships and not the transaction. Titan builds partnerships one project at a time. Among their clients are Starbucks, Crumble Cookie, uh, Blake Pizza, Home Goods, 15 plus years experience based in Midlothian, Virginia, and contracted in Virginia, West Virginia, North Carolina, and South Carolina. So get on their website, TitanCGInc.com. That's TitanCGInc.com. Get in touch with Brad if you're in need of a general contractor that focuses on going above and beyond for their clients. That's Titan Construction Group, a proud sponsor of the JC and Morgan podcast. All right, back with you here on JC and Morgan. Um, <laughs> again, there's some guys just have the gift. Uh, we, we get to do a lot of interviews, and I get to sit down with a lot of coaches getting ready to call. Uh, Shane just has that, man. I saw it in media days again this year. Um, I don't In this day and age, I think that's more important than ever. Personality does matter when you're trying to acquire talent, when you're trying to deal with adversity. Uh, and he certainly has that. So really appreciate Shane. Again, carving out the time once again. Speaking of time, JC, now I know you, you've got you've got other shows to hop on. How are we on time? Yeah, you, I think we're we ten look- minutes late. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the Gamecock show starts at eleven ten, but I think the audience yes. is hanging over here to finish up with Shane. So okay, we're gonna we're gonna enough. have to we have yeah. to do we're gonna have like a five and dime next time with eight different movies. There we go. Yeah, we got a lot of them. Mike, uh, Mike had a great list today, too, man. It was well, like, we, we just Shane just added a few that we might have to throw out there in the five and dime segment. Stay, stand by me in the Wonder Years, like he said. Stand by me in the Wonder Years were like on his list. To me, that that was, and I didn't like either one of them. In full disclosure, I mean, I, I, I mean, I could see most people that like the Wonder Years like Stand by Me. Oh, it's uh, you didn't like either one of those. Is that what you said? What? Oh boy. The fan? 
Man, God, man, God. you didn't like Winnie Cooper. You didn't like Kevin Arnold and the the trials and tribulations of going through middle school and battling popularity and acne and everything else. Stand no, by me. To, well, I mean, Fred is Fred is not a likable guy in real life, is what we're finding out. But that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> that's a whole other yeah. podcast. Um, Goonies was Goonies knocked it out of the park, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I would, I would, I would say so. It's not a five or dimer for me, but it's a good movie when you're young. It, if any of you have ever like moved in with your girlfriend for the first time or something, there's a great meme out there where where they they have Chunk going, "You're gonna come live with me now, sloth." I'm going to take care of you. And it's like every guy, when they first move in, uh, you know, every girl, when, when the guy moves in with her for the first time, and then Sloth is the guy, you know. Uh, uh. Anybody that's been through that can relate to that meme. But I love that movie. Uh, you know, I uh, there's all kinds of goodness in there. And, and the lady that plays the bad lady was also outstanding in Throw Mama, one Throw Mama from the Train. With Danny DeVito, which is outstanding as well. Another your 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 movie. Uh, this is the beauty of that segment, which we'll get to again next week. Is our yeah, different sorry. different <laughs> take. By the way, Goodwill Hunting, which Shane mentioned, that's a that's a dimer plus. That might be a Ben Franklin when that's on. Drop the remote. Uh, if, if you can suffer through some really bad Boston accents from two guys that are from Boston, um, then then it's it's outstanding. And for me, Robin Williams' best role. May he rest. In peace. When we uh, come back next week, again, we'll get to that. We'll also break down the Big Ten Media Days will be complete. Maybe we'll have some news on the pack. We'll start getting in, into positional battles in the SEC. All things college football and beyond here on the show. Uh, just some wrap, wrapping up, JC, just some final thoughts on what Shane had to say, talking specifically about ball. Yeah, normally. Yeah, I mean, I, I was, I'm curious to see how those two. They're technically Mike. They're walk-ons because they're they're not on scholarship, but they're they were starters at Charlotte and Mercer, you know. Uh, and they guess want to play a bigger program. Came through the portal of South Carolina. I'm curious to see how those guys kind of fit in. Uh, I like that they're cross training. I do think offensive line is critical, and, and for the Gamecocks this year, they have a a group uh, of they have guys that have, a lot of guys that have been there that are like our age. That, that have been there since the mid eighties, right? Thornton Mellons I mean, of the O line, older yeah, the, the, the pre COVID group. I mean, uh, all of them were must champ guys that came in early in his tenure, and they're still there. Uh, you got about four or five of those guys. You got a transfer from Yale who's going to be a monster, Nick Gargiulo from New York. Gargiulo, all, right. all Ivy has a has a, an amazing mustache, but I've, I've seen this kid in person; he's unbelievable. But behind those that core group, which is which has been at times pretty good, at times not so good, you're you're either young and extremely talented, or a little older and not quite ready. So, um, you know that's going to be the key. I don't think they could. They lost Jalen Nichols, who was supposed to be their starting left tackle in the spring game. I don't think they can afford any more injuries uh, up front on the O line. If they can get good O line play, Spencer Rattler, those receivers. Uh, even the running backs, I think, will be fine. Uh, but that's going to be the key for South Carolina this year, both lines of scrimmage. Uh, they have to continue to do it. And the good, the good news is down the road, they have one of the best offensive line classes in the country coming in for 2024. And then in 2023, they signed probably, at that time, the best offensive line class in program history. So 
you know, we're not used to South Carolina having a good offensive line at all, but it looks like they are changing that at least on paper. The media poll means nothing, but I was surprised that the voters had Carolina third. Of course, the same group of people that had, I don't know how many people gave Vanderbilt a first place vote. I guess that's, <laughs> I, I, I want to believe that they were being serious. Uh, I have a feeling that some people, that's one of those where you're yeah. like, you're pranking, you're pranking everybody and you're telling your buddies, yeah, I voted Vanderbilt number one. Watch this. Um, I, I think the Gamecocks certainly uh, c- can finish there, but the more popular picks from, from kind of some of the talking heads out there are Kentucky. Uh, some even think Florida will have a bounce back year. But I think the, if, if it wasn't for that brutal schedule, and it, it seems like we say this every year about a Gamecock schedule, I think they certainly would be an, an easy pick for three. And if you can knock off Tennessee a, a second year in a row, which is obviously going to be difficult, well, then you're almost a lock for two. And no one, no one is sincerely thinking Georgia is not the favorite to win the East. The only thing that derails Georgia from winning the East, and we'll wrap up on this because I know you got to run, is if the quarterback play just takes a major step backwards. That, that the guys just are not ready. Outside of that, it's really hard to not see Georgia winning another Eastern Division crown, which will be how many? We're talking about this six out of seven? Seven out of eight. Yeah, and, and look, they're very talented, and but young and outside linebacker too, Mike. And mm-hmm. and then you got to replace Jalen Carter. We had uh, – and we got to get – we need to get him on next time we have an expert on to talk dogs is Jordan Hill from Dogs 27. We mm-hmm. had him on the Gamecock show, and, and he did mention – you know, the Jalen Carter thing is kind of by committee. Uh, outside linebackers, that defense, which were so good the last two years, they're really good. Again, they're four or five-star guys, but they're young. Um, so, I think I think you mentioned Georgia quarterback play. I agree, uh, and that kind of feeds into their offense. I actually think they're going to be much better on offense this year than last year. Nobody's going to believe me, but mark it down. Uh, turnovers. You get into a ball game where – your defense is a little green. Other teams could exploit some matchups. And then maybe Carson Beck turns it over a few times, whereas that's a bit of wooden, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of thing. That, that, could, that could catch up to him. And don't forget, there are games every year where, I mean, Georgia did not mop up the floor with every single team. Most teams they did. but they Had a rally against Missouri. Lot. Could have lost to Ohio State, had a rally against Missouri. Kentucky was a 16-6 to ball game. So it wasn't like, you know, Georgia was pretty dominant most of the time. So in those key games where you're not at your best, you know, if you're turning it over, you may lose that Missouri or, or that Kentucky or, you know, obviously the Ohio State game. So, you know, that, that would be the only thing that derails them. I agree. As far as South Carolina being third, you know, I like the pick. And, and I'll tell you, the thing I've heard, I heard through the grapevine because I was like, well, I thought for sure you guys would pick Kentucky because uh, you're all saying Devin Leary is going to be first team all SEC. Why wouldn't you? Um, and it's going to be the same question you had about them last year. Is their offensive line going to no get question. back up to standard? Uh, or is this going to be another adventuresome year? I mean, they've got good backs they brought in from the portal, but, you know, you do lose Chris Rodriguez. So we'll, we'll see what happens with them. I, You know, it, it, Kentucky's one of those teams, I think, Either they'll go, they'll cycle back up and win ten again or something like that and finish second, or they could be due for a bottoming out, just like I think Ole Miss could do this year. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's very interesting. I tried to warn people last year that 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 O line was was going to be an issue, and it mm-hmm. certainly was. I don't think they win ten, I, and I don't. I, I I think they're in the middle. 
and that's not a bad place to be. I mean, you can be in the middle and still finish like eight and four, but, yeah. but, but I don't think they're, I don't think they're what they were two, three years ago. Uh, even with Devin Leary, two really good sophomore wide receivers, but um, I'm just, I'm just not there, not buying too heavily on this year's installment of Kentucky football, even though I love what Mark Stoops has done in Lexington. All right. We Absolutely. are over time. Uh, I got thanks a again. programming note for those waiting on Gamecocks Bring it. show. Uh, 1130. 1130 start time. It's like we're in a rain delay. Oh, so, <laughs> 1130 start time. Well, heck. Yeah. Let's break out the mailbag. No, we'll, we'll do that next week. A J.C. and Morgan delay, but yeah, because uh, uh, those of you that are in, in the chat box here, Phil is running it behind the scenes, so you just don't see Phil's face. So yeah, we, we've got two of the three inside the Gamecock show. And, of course, Mike's kind of our fourth unofficial partner. You're going to see a lot of Mike this season and a lot more of this because I, I think the streaming stuff looks good. It feels good. Love For this. our nice first time, Mike. Phil. Take a bow, we had Phil. an SEC head coach on. It was our first time ever streaming, uh, and we just had a couple of couple of glitches there. So we're good. We're yeah, good. no, we we we, uh, we look forward to the, the brand as you mentioned, and it snuck up on me. We've been doing it since 2016. We uh, we have a, a listenership that grows by literally uh, it seems like hundreds every month. We're up in the thousands uh, each and every time we do this. And uh, now if the website is going strong, we encourage you to come. Visit as well, jcandmorgan.com, or being more interactive, we'll read your emails uh, on next week's show, and uh, eventually we'll be visual as well every week like we're doing this one today. And, of course, it's free on every format. You know the drill. I've become like a podcast addict. Like that's, that's what I do now when I'm at the gym, when I'm in traffic. I listen to podcasts, not just this one, of course, but uh, even just regular ones on pop culture, stand-up comedy, you name it. It really is. You're no longer just stuck with bad radio shows on bad radio stations anymore. Uh, the podcast world and the streaming world has allowed so many more uh, entertainment options out there. We appreciate you uh, choosing us as one of those. So that'll yeah. do it for us. Yep, go ahead, JC. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, and a lot of times on podcasts, you just get an app and download it to your phone, and voila, right? Boom. Is that foreshadowing? I don't know. That sounds like foreshadowing. I think JC's got something up his sleeve. You'll hear more about that in about 10 minutes. Uh, And again, our thanks to Shane Beamer for joining us. Our guest parade, if if you're new to us and you haven't caught it, I mean, we had our quarterback derby where we had everybody from Ryan Leaf to Tim Couch to Greg McElroy to Aaron Murray to Shane Matthews. I mean, just some really good stuff that, quite frankly, is timeless. It's, It's not a matter. It's not you know, asking specific questions about the story of the day. So you can go back and listen to any of those interviews. They're all on jcandmorgan.com, and they're all on all the uh, formats, Spotify, iTunes, everything else. That will do it for us. For JC, this is Mike saying so long. We will see you next week right here on JC and Morgan.